So I want to invite you to open up with me to chapter 25 of Genesis. And if any of those statements or themes grabbed your attention this morning, uh, you just need to understand that this message is from God to you to be applied. We don't want to just hear a message. We want to do something about what we hear. And so learn, even as we're going through, as you're filling out your outline, go ahead and open that up, by the way. As you look at your outline, look, fill out, write down responses even as we go through. Respond during the message. Don't wait for a song at the end, okay? You, you can respond throughout the time that God is speaking to you. With that being said, we better go. Okay, here we go. Genesis chapter 25. I, I want us to read... And uh, I'll give you the cliff note versions at the beginning of chapter uh, 25. This is the very short version. Abraham is going to die. Okay, so we've been walking with him, following uh, the Lord's leadership in his life since the end of chapter 11. And now here in 25, he will breathe his last breath. And the scriptures say there in verse seven, says these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. It's a good life. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and he was gathered to his people. We're told that Isaac and Ishmael, that's his two oldest sons, that they buried him. Uh, they went and buried him in a cave, and it was in the uh, same place where Sarah was buried. And this is significant because we see that they were both buried in the only owned piece of property that the family of God has at this point. This is in the land of promise. God says, I've given you this land, but at this point they owned nothing in it except for this burial plot. And and he will be buried with Sarah. And this is just a picture of their faith, their faith in God's promises. So he's buried in the, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. And we're told there at the end of verse 10, moving into 11, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And after the death of Abraham, here's the phrase we need to see, God blessed Isaac, his son. And so now there's going to be this massive transition that takes place here in the book of Genesis where we've had all these chapters and which make up all of these years that we were with Abraham and Sarah and, and uh, their family. And of course, Abraham and Sarah and the miraculous birth of Isaac at the age, you know, where Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 and just following that life. Now the transition takes place. Abraham is gone to be with the Lord. And now it is uh, all eyes are focused on Isaac. Isaac. Isaac is a very transitional character in the scriptures. When I say character, by the way, I don't mean like in some myth. These are true people. These are people that actually lived. Uh, this is a real story. Uh, but the character of Isaac is a fairly transitional character. He, he is known in connection with Abraham and he's known in connection with his son, Jacob. And, and so we don't find out a whole lot about him just specifically, uh, but we see him in the lives of these other family members. And so we're going to transition now to Isaac and his family, the genealogy that exists there. And so I want to show you in your outline, we want to see the birth, the birthright and the blessing. This is all an outline that's going to help us understand his family and what the Lord is doing through it. And so if you will, let's start with uh, the birth and let's read several verses there from 25 verses 19 to 26. <clears throat> These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac 
And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. So that love story that we saw last week, Isaac was 40 years old when that took place, when he got married to Rebekah. She, of course, was uh, from the Mesopotamia region and, and, you know, Isaac had sent his servant to go and get a wife for, uh, I mean, Abraham had sent his servant to get a, uh, a wife for Isaac and, and Rebecca, the wonderful uh, girl that we met last week, becomes his wife. And we find out that as wonderful as this wedding was, that struggle would enter in soon after their marriage. And we're, we're not told about any kind of conflict that would exist with them, but we find out that all of these promises that existed around their family, uh, that we're told that, you know, Isaac and Rebecca's family would, you know, they'd have children that would be, uh, reach the amount of stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. You know, all, all of these uh, children that they were to have, we, we find the first 20 years of their marriage that Rebecca was barren. You know, and some of you, that, that may be where you are uh, today, may, maybe not 20 years, but it's you, you may sit here today and one of the greatest uh, struggles in your life is, is the inability that you have at this moment to conceive. And I want you to know that, that God loves you and we love you and we would love to pray on your behalf if that is where you are. But we need to know and remember a truth together as a congregation, that truth is this, is that God is sovereign over the womb. God is sovereign over the womb. The other truth that we need to see is this, is like this family, that our circumstances, they don't always look like the dreams that we have for our family. The circumstances and the hopes that we came into this marriage or with this family with, they don't always look like, uh, or the dreams that we have, they don't always look like the circumstances that we're actually living in. And that's where we find these guys, a struggle in the first 20 years of their marriage. 20 years of starting a family and they couldn't. But Isaac prayed on behalf of his wife. You know, I don't know if he knew the story about what his father did and how he prayed over Abimelech and, and the people of Gerar there in chapter 20. I, I don't know if that's the case, if he knew, but God uh, heard Abraham's cry then and opened up the womb of the women there in Gerar. And, and here, Isaac is gonna pray on behalf of his wife and God is going to open up her womb and she conceives. But there's not only a struggle there in the first 20 years of life and desiring to start a family and had not had the ability to do so. Now that she's pregnant, there's great struggle. Struggle within the womb. And I, I wanna read this for you and uh, see, see what takes place. It says, verse 21, and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebecca's, Rebecca, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her and she said, if it is thus, why has this happened to me? She, she's saying, what is going on inside me? What is wrong with me? What is happening? That's what's taking place. I, I don't know what this felt like. I couldn't pretend to. Some of you ladies would have much more of an idea of what's going on. But I mean, she was just really uh, struggling in her mind, not knowing what was happening inside her womb. We're told that she went to inquire of the Lord. I, I don't know what this meant, exactly who she went to at this point, but we know some kind of prophet. 
And she goes to some kind of prophet and she asks uh, for him to inquire the Lord regarding what is going on within her body. And this is the prophecy that she was told. Look with me at verse 23. And the Lord said, not to the prophet, the Lord said to her, the Lord speaks to her, two nations are in your womb. That's a big one, isn't it? See, she didn't even know she had two babies. Okay, now she finds out I have twins, I have two babies, and they're not only just individuals, they represent, they will be the head of nations. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. She knows before she even gives birth that there's going to be great conflict between her children and in her family. The one shall be stronger than the other. And here is the key phrase. The older shall serve the younger. This is countercultural to this time in Genesis. This was not what anyone would expect. Even with twins, whichever one was born first would receive the firstborn status. The firstborn, they, they were the one that would receive the lion's share of the inheritance and typically the blessing from the father. What we're told here is that there's going to be a reversal and the, the older will serve the younger. Now she couldn't have known what that meant at that point, but she knew this was unusual. Verse 24 tells us, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And one especially was really pretty. It says, the first came out red and all of his body like a hairy cloak. Welcome, son, you know? You know, I mean, there's probably somebody in the room that like your kid was born and you went, well. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've been there? Ah, they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Names are such a big deal in the story of God. He comes out grasping the heel of his brother. The struggle that existed within this womb is now even being seen in the birth. He's grabbing hold. It's a competition from birth, who will come out first? Who will be the one who wins the family inheritance? You, you see it there pictured even at birth. We're told that Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, what I want you to see, and we'll be real quick there, just that first 20 years of struggle, it wasn't the first 20 years that they probably expected. We, we see the nine months of struggle, the struggle of the actual pregnancy. We see the struggle that's within the prophecy that there's going to be conflict in this family. In fact, two separate nations. And we see even when they're babies, this sibling struggle, this conflict that exists with one trying to outdo the other. That's the picture that we would see. So we see the birth. Secondly, we want to see the birthright, the birthright. Let's go ahead and read. This text here, verse 27 uh, through the end of this chapter. <clears throat> we see that when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. He's a man's man. You know what I mean? You know those guys? 
He comes out, everything he owns is camo. He's that guy. Everything else. He's a skillful hunter, a man of the field. While Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Okay, so we got this country boy and a city boy, and they they are in the same family. We've got Esau and Jacob, and from the very beginning, we just see, you know, that one looks a lot more like Tim Thomas, and one looks a lot more like me. Okay, that's how we see. I'm just kidding, uh, but but we got one that's just this awesome hunter. He's skillful at what he does, and the other he's kind of hanging around the house, and uh, you know. I, I'm not like Jacob, by the way. Sorry, I should have said that. Uh, somebody else in this room is a mama's boy. Where are you? Okay, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, we've got, we've got this Esau and Jacob, and we see a little bit about their lives. Verse 28, though, is going to shed light on what I believe is going to lead us into the story of birthright. Look at what the text says. We're told something about the relationship of the parents to their kids. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Now I'm going to say this again. I I want you to maybe see this differently than you have before. Maybe you knew there was going to be favoritism that would exist in this family and favoritism is going to exist in the families from the rest of, uh, for the rest of the book of Genesis. And it's going to cause all kinds of problems and heartache. But here we, we have a reason, a justification that's given for Isaac's love for Esau. And so look at it one more time. Isaac loved Esau. Because, there's a reason, because he ate of his game, because of the food he brought him. That doesn't seem like great love, does it? Now, maybe he loved him better than that in different ways, but we don't see any example of that. Okay? But Rebecca loved Jacob. So we've got a dad loving a son and a mom loving a son, and that already causing conflict and dysfunction within their household. Let's look at a story here on the birthright. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, of course he was, okay, he was inside cooking stew. When he was cooking stew, and by the way, you should buy some Brunswick stew (laughs) because it will help support our, the ministries of our children and our youth. There it was, Cindy and Jared, wherever you were. Okay, there was your plug. Uh, Buy some Brunswick stew today. All right, so once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. The, the Hebrew phrasing there, he comes in, he says, give me some of that red stuff. That's what, I mean, he's a country boy. Give me some of that red stuff. I'm tired. Okay. That, that's what happens uh, there with him. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Now you're going to see what's going to take place is something ridiculous with Esau. And he is going to be for the rest of his life marked with a name, basically a nickname for something that he did that was unwise and that would mark the rest of his existence for the bad. Now, I hope none of you are known for something that what you're known for and marked with is something that you did that was unwise or ridiculous. But I'll go ahead and tell you, if that's you, you can find hope today in Christ Jesus. Take note of what we'll see with Esau. He will not. He will not rise above this poor decision he makes. But you can in Christ Jesus. Okay? Going into the story, Jacob said, after he comes in and says, man, give me some of that soup. I'm so hungry. I'm tired. Jacob said, well, sell me your birthright. Sell it to me now. 
Now, a birthright would have actually been, we, we don't know what this one looked like, and because it was in Genesis, it's hard to say too much of what we can know it looked like, but it would have been a physical copy, a, a tablet of some sort that would have said uh, birthright status. And so this meant that, that Esau had the birthright and it meant that he was, he had all the privileges of the firstborn and more than likely would have received the full blessing from the family. Uh, that would include inheritance, but also you're the one that passes the family line on. The name goes with you. And, and for our context in Genesis, that means that this is the one that we should see that, that the Savior will come through, okay? We should see that's at least the intent of this birthright. So the one that has this is going to be the chosen seed or the chosen line, all right? <clears throat> but Esau's hungry and he's tired. And Jacob says, give me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now this may seem like such a silly story to you, but, but what happens, I believe we can read into it a little bit, is Esau's identity is crushed. Esau is a person who the love of his dad is tied directly to the food that he brings home. And we're told that he's a skillful hunter and yet today he's hungry. He's a skillful hunter. He's awesome at it, but yet he has no food. And he comes in more than likely broken down, beaten up, feeling like life doesn't matter because I can't do what dad needs for him to love me. Therefore, I don't even care if I live anymore. I don't care about this birthright. I don't really care about anything at this point. I'm just hungry. Now, what we see happen with Esau, you need to understand how easily it can happen to you. And to me, I'll say it this way. How long could it possibly take for a very hungry man's man of a man to eat a bowl of soup? How long could it take? Even if he went back for seconds and he dominated all of the bread, how long could it possibly take? Two minutes, five minutes, how long might it take? Well, for that few moment, for those few moments, he gave up something that changed his entire life forever because of a lack of self-control and an inability to see promise. Now, I don't know where you are, but I want you to know that the story more than likely of some of you in this room and listen, I'm not above this either. The story could be one day for a couple of minutes, for a couple of minutes, for, for 10 minutes, for this small pleasure, for this small amount of money, for that look on the computer, I gave up my family. 
For this thing that seemed insignificant at the time, I I gave into it and I gave up everything. I I I saw last night, I I saw, you know, I didn't watch the the news part of, I saw the headline that there was this youth pastor who gave in to sin. It was on the news for everybody to see. Listen, how many people do you know? I bet if we went around and said, hey, I want you to think of a minister that you know that fell. They said they were called to lead people to Christ forever, to make disciples. And what they have done, they've walked away from not only their job, but from the faith. It probably started over things that seemed insignificant at the time. Things that they were indifferent to. Well, surely this won't be a big deal. No, it's a, it's such a big deal. For a bowl of soup, he gave up his family heritage. He gave up his right. He gave up blessing for a bowl of soup. Is there any areas of our life right now that we are in danger of giving up everything that is offered to us, the, the inheritance, the, the beauty, the fellowship, the joy of the Lord, the, the, the beauty of our family. Is there any of us in this room who you're dealing with right now, should I eat that soup? Should I just take a bite? My identity's crushed. I just need something. I'm tired. I'm tired. When we're tired, we make horrible decisions. Without being too corny here, we need rest and the right kind of rest. We cannot find our identity in anything outside of Christ and not be tired. Okay? From that, we'll move straight into our last point there in this story as we see the birthright, but now the blessing. We're going to skip over uh, chapter 26. We'll come back to that. Uh, later, not today, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, chapter 27, we're with, this is the scene where Isaac is going to bless Jacob. And, and you probably remember this, I'll do some summarizing here, but in this story, typically birthright and blessing are tied together, but they didn't have to be. And what this meant was at the end of Isaac's life, or as it was nearing the end of his life, he wanted to speak favor over one of his sons. He wanted to speak blessing over his sons. This is something we find that's biblical. We find blessing and curses. And in this case, the blessing would be, you know, speak the very promises of God over one of my uh, sons. And what's very odd is this, is Isaac desires to speak this blessing over Esau. We're told that Isaac was uh, old in verse one of 27. He's old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. So he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, behold, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Here it is again, his blessing tied to food. And like, I'm really not trying to be funny or exaggerate this. I believe this is a serious problem in Isaac's life. Like he doesn't give love. He doesn't give blessing. If it's not tied to him getting his appetite filled. That's what it appears. So this is not a highlight reel for parents. This is very dysfunctional. 
Told you I'd say that word. Here we go. Verse four, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you and die. I mean, uh, bless you before I die. And, and so here's what happens. We, we hear that his eyesight is going. And I mean this to be offensive to no one in the room. But if there's anyone in the room that your eyesight is starting to go, if age is catching up to you in that area, I bet that you would say, you know, my hearing is starting to fail on me a little bit too. And my voice is just getting louder. Okay. And I feel like these tent walls were really, really thin. And he thought he was having a little secret time with Esau, but yet Rebecca and all the world could hear what was going on. He calls Esau and he says, I'm going to bless you today. You know, don't tell anybody. But Rebecca, you know, she's, she's pretty slick. Rebecca, I don't know if she's hiding or if she was two rooms over, but she hears and she comes up with a plan. And see, what we notice about this from the very beginning is something I never noticed in all the years of reading this text. And it's this, is that Isaac wanted to blatantly go against God's prophesied word from Genesis 25 to bless the son that he knew was not to receive the blessing. Do you see that? See, Rebecca knew it. Isaac would have known it. He was told the younger will be the one that's blessed. But yet, what is he trying to do? He's not trying to bless all of his kids. He's just going to bless Esau, the one that was not to receive the blessing. He's already lost his birthright, which was a ridiculous move on his behalf and a little bit of exploiting on behalf of Jacob. And yet that was purposeful. It should have happened. It was Jacob's uh, status that he was to have. And now this blessing it is supposed to go to Jacob and yet Isaac is wanting to bless Esau, but Rebecca hears of this and she's not okay with it. And so she comes up with a plan and I want you to listen to the plan. And some of you know this, but it is crazy. She says, he can't see son, but he can taste and he likes food more than he likes anything. It seems at this point. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get a couple of goats. We're going to prepare an awesome meal. And she says, just like your dad likes. And by the way, mama knew what dad liked. You know what I mean? Like she knows what he likes as far as food. And so she's going to prepare this meal and get it ready for him. And, uh, you know, Jacob says what we would have said. And he's like, he, he literally says this actually, Esau's a hairy man and I'm smooth skinned. You, know, you, you understand where he is? That guy ain't never been able to do no shave November. You know, like he couldn't do it. Esau woke up with it at five, you know, so like they, they he says, what am I going to do? Like dad can't see, but like, he's not that ignorant. And she goes, I got a plan. We're going to take the goat skin and we're going to put it on your body. How gross is that? She puts the goat skin on his neck and on his arms, his hands. How hairy was Esau? I mean, really, that's gross. And then she gets his scent. It's probably like, you know, elk urine or something. I don't know. She gets it. And she puts it on him and, you know, go into the room, go into the room. I want you to take this food and I want you to get the blessing that you deserve, son. Jacob's like, I'm going to get caught. And I'm going to get a curse instead of a blessing. She said, listen, let your curse fall on me if this goes through. She's not playing around. This is a mom with a plan. And she sends him in. It's obviously not a good, you know, 
outfit and situation. He goes in and Isaac can tell something's wrong. He starts asking, you know, who are you? He said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And he's probably like, but your voice sounds high pitched, you know, and, and Esau's doesn't. And so he's talking to him. He's like, you don't sound like him, you know? And he, he says, but I am him and ends up being, he gives him a hug. He feels the hair and he smells him. And he says, this is my son. And even though there was confusion all around, and can you imagine how foolish Jacob looked? I mean, I'm serious. Can you imagine how he looked? He was probably thinking Esau's gonna be in any second. What am I gonna do? He's probably nervous, heart probably beating out of his chest. He, he's just feeling crazy, he looks crazy, and he's just getting this blessing. There's one point that Isaac says, how did you get the food so quickly, my son? He says, God gave me the, uh, God blessed it. The Lord granted me success. He pulls a God card. Like, see, like, that's just, that's blasphemy. I mean, this is a bad situation, full of deceit. And yet it works. It works. Uh, Isaac blesses him. I, I want you to see, look, look with me at verse uh, 27. It says, so he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. And he said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you a dew of heaven and the fatness of earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. This is like a, a universal sovereign blessing. Like when a, somebody from this line is going to be a king. That's what we should feel here as we read this. And we know that is true. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and bless be everyone who blesses you. He leaves with the blessing and then Esau comes in. Esau heartbroken, finding out what happens. He comes in with the food and he says, here, dad, I'm ready to be blessed. And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm the firstborn Esau. And he said, well, then who did I just bless? And Esau knows it. And he says, it's Jacob again. He deceived me now twice. He took my birthright. And now he got my blessing. Dad, can't you do something? Can't you give me another blessing? Can't you give me something else? And he says, I've already given all of my blessing away. Now you may think that's crazy. Like, why can't he just say, oh, he fooled me. Now I'm going to bless you, son. It's because Isaac, who is pointed out in Hebrews chapter 11 as being a man of faith who invoked blessing on his kids. It's because in that moment, he got it. It's because in that moment, he realized I've been trying to do this the wrong way. It's Jacob's to have. He deceived me, but that's his blessing. He deceived me, but that's his status. Esau, I'm sorry. In fact, he does give him some form of blessing, but look at it, it's in verse 39. Then Isaac, his father answered and said, behold, away from the fatness of earth, your dwelling will be away from the blessing and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. He's saying, he's gonna be over you, but you won't serve him forever. There's gonna be a divide here in this family and it's exactly in line with God's sovereign prophecy. Now, in our closing, what I wanna do is this, is I want you to see our story in the gospel. And, and Kyle, you can go ahead and uh, come up at this point. 
I want us to take our time here applying the word as uh, Kyle and, and uh, the band comes. So we, we've seen this story. We, we felt foolish with Jacob. We felt ridiculous with Esau. Uh, we're, we're a little sad about the behavior that we see from Isaac and his parenting choices. But yet what we're going to find is as we continue going through this story, and we'll see it next week, is that wonderful promise that was given to Abraham that I will bless you and you'll be a blessing. Anyone who tries to curse you, they will be cursed. Nobody can come against my promises. The end of the earth will be blessed through your family. We know that passed to Isaac. And even though Isaac makes some foolish moves and he's certainly not a perfect parent, we see God's blessing and work in his life. And we see God's promise active in his life. And with Jacob, the deceiver, the one who's about to be on the run because as soon as Esau walks out, he's coming to kill him. We see Jacob on the run and we'll see him fleeing uh, to Uncle Laban uh, next week. But, but what we're, what we're going to know is this, is that God's blessing is over this family. No matter how dysfunctional they might be, no matter how ridiculous they might be, God will bless the world. And we who are in Christ today are blessed because of what God did to that family. I'll give you a few examples right here. The last three are, we saw the story that's in Genesis there. Now I want you to see our story in the gospel of Jesus, our story. I want you to see our new birth in Christ. We saw the birth of these children, the struggle that existed in the pregnancy and the birth. I want you to understand our natural birth into this world full of struggle. In fact, struggle is a pitiful word. We were sinners we had a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature if Christ has not changed us. And what we need to understand is this. We weren't just, we weren't just struggling, we're rebels. There's a rebellion built in our heart that, that came out and overflow into our life. And, and, and we tried to live life apart from God and rebel against his purposes and plans. And we needed a savior. We needed a hope. We needed one to save us from our sin. And we're told that God so loved the world that he gave his son his only son, that whoever would believe on him, they wouldn't die, but they would receive life forever, eternal life. Our story in the gospel is our new birth in Christ is given to us when we believe by faith in him. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were children of wrath, but God, because of his mercy and grace, he's made us alive together with Jesus Christ. We have new birth and new life in Jesus. And so when we look at the struggle and the rebellion that exists in that family in Genesis, may we remember our own and recognize our own and our need for new birth, our, new, our need for gospel hope for life. Secondly, our story in the gospel, we see our ultimate birthright in Christ. Our ultimate birthright. Birthright is so hard to define. It can be difficult. Birthright, just that firstborn status, the status as a son. And listen to me, church. When you believe the gospel of Jesus, you're not just forgiven of your sin. You're welcomed into his family. This is about being a son. I, I, I see my, my friends who I love very much, uh, the Blankenship family, Ethan and Kara. It was just a few months ago that, that probably... 
30 of us, I don't even know, uh, went to the airport in Birmingham. We went to the little baggage claim area and we waited for uh, Kara and Elena and Noah to come down the little escalator. Ethan was there and the kids and, and they were just waiting to meet their son recently adopted into the family. And though it's hard to parallel when we're talking about birthright, we're talking about firstborn status, it's hard to parallel that with what I'm saying right now. But what you can see is this, is when Noah got home, when he walked in, in fact, as soon as the papers were signed, he had right, a right as a blankenship. He had a status as he was a blankenship. Noah was. He's a son. Now, for us, when we see this, it's better than even that. Because we're not just welcomed into the family, we're given the status of firstborn with Christ. Everything that Jesus Christ receives, as he raises from the dead, victorious over sin and death, and he's given an inheritance that's greater than any inheritance has ever been known to anyone on this earth. We are told in scripture that we receive the inheritance with Christ, that we receive firstborn status. And we say it often and you think it's funny and I think it's kind of funny, but I'm a bride of Christ as a guy and girls, you're a son with Christ as a girl. We have firstborn status, it's sonship. We're welcomed in. Hebrews calls the church, the church of the firstborn. We receive firstborn status. Given the status we always wanted. And lastly, our story in the gospel of Jesus, we see our eternal blessing through Christ. This is our greatest hopes, our greatest dreams that we ever tried to fabricate on our own are met in the gospel of Jesus, except they're better. They're better. See, all Jacob wanted was blessing. And that's going to continue in his life until one day in chapter 32, we'll see it soon. He's going to wrestle God. That's crazy, isn't it? And he's going to cry out, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Blessing's all he wanted. And for all of us, it's what we want too. It's just for so many of us, we know the story of when we tried to get our blessing from somewhere other than Jesus Christ. Find our hope in something other than Jesus Christ, our identity in something other than Jesus Christ. And I want you to see our eternal blessing through Christ. What we always wanted is made sense of in Christ Jesus for all of eternity, no more death, no more sin, no more bitterness, no more anger, no more rape, murder, no more cancer, no more anything that causes sin, any evidence of sin, no sickness, no evidence of the fall any longer will exist in that favored, blessed world that will be this renewed earth that is given to Christ and his people. That's the gospel. Kyle, as you lead us, church, when we respond, we're responding to we need 
Jesus Christ. He gives us our life. He gives us our status. It is Jesus Christ that gives us the blessing and the hope that we all need. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do a great work today as we respond.